today on Ag News Daily. It so happened that um, I had an opportunity to start a poultry, uh, but I think that it was basically um, divine and somehow I think God wanted me to go this way. But I tell people farming is by far the most difficult thing that I've done, but the most uh, fulfilling. Good Thursday to everybody listening. This is Tanner Winterhoff alongside Cassidy Zirkle again on a wonderful Thursday morning. How are you doing, Cassidy? I'm great, Tanner. So happy to be here with you again. Oh, the pleasure is all mine. I appreciate you jumping on so we can share some of the latest headlines with our listeners. You want to go first today? What do you got? Yes, sir. I have so much news. Unfortunately, pretty much all of it is bad news. But what I first want to talk about is this viral video of the dead cattle in Kansas that is circling around Twitter and Facebook and all of social media. A lot of our listeners and a lot of people on social media are contributing to conspiracy theories behind this video because it does look a little bizarre if you aren't from the feed yard world. But I would like to, with facts, put a stop to these conspiracy theories and let our listeners know that this is a heat casualty and this is what it looks like when feed yards lose multiple head to a heat casualty. I was suspicious as well. So I reached out to some of my trusted colleagues that work in the feed yard industry. And even my dad told me that in 2011, when he worked in the panhandle of Texas, he saw the same thing where they lost multiple head of cattle because they had multiple days of 105 degree weather or more. In fact, cattle were just dropping dead. So one of the main reasons I want to put an end to these conspiracy theories that there was foul play involved or that these cattle were poisoned or that the feed yard was at fault or that the government was involved is because when I was talking to my dad about that, you could hear how horrible that summer was for him and his crew and how hard they worked to save these cattle and there was nothing they could do. Yeah, I saw a couple of those headlines, Cassidy, the heat indexes being over triple digits. According to this article, unconformed reports have been estimated more than 10,000 head in Kansas and more expected to come from Nebraska as that heat stress continues. And we all know how devastating heat stress can be on cattle. But uh, if people are curious and want to know what the actual effects are, this article also includes on agweb.com an insert from Dr. Dan Thompson of Iowa State University Veterinarian School. So even a set of facts and industry experience behind the reason why this can be so widespread when temperatures get so hot. Yes, sir. And in the article that I read about it, veterinarian Miles Thewer wrote and responded to this catastrophe with Beef Magazine. So there's lots of facts there talking about how the humidity and the low wind and the high temperatures were kind of the perfect storm to kill all these cattle that were right about ready for market. So these yards are not only losing lives of cattle, they've been working to keep healthy for months, but they're also losing tons of money. Yep. not the. There's never a good time to lose an animal, but it certainly don't want it close to market bait. Sticking on the weather side, Iowa has seen a couple of bouts of heavy rainfall. So a storm that moved in Tuesday night into Wednesday morning brought heavy rain that damaged parts of the state. So an interview here with a farmer outside of Perry, Iowa, so a little bit west central, 
stated that their home place, the 160 acres where his house is, uh, has been a long time since they have seen as much water flood over that. But that field, as this farmer reports, is pretty much flooded. He's hoping that they can get the water to recede quick enough to where they can save the soybeans. Because he fears, as we had talked on some of our other interviews, Kesty, that it might be too late to replant once it actually dries out. So uh, unfortunate events here in central Iowa, talks of two to three inches of rain coming in less than an hour uh, in that storm system in areas that were already saturated and had planting delays earlier this spring. Yeah, that is unfortunate. And I'll tell you another area that is having some unfortunate weather is Fort Wayne, Indiana, who was hit by the dreaded derecho that we've been talking about at the beginning of this week about how the weather was kind of setting up perfect for one of these events to happen, but we really hoped that it didn't. Indiana did actually get hit by one on Tuesday night, I believe. And it's estimated that 22,700 people are without power. They broke their city's wind gust record with a 98-mile-per-hour wind gust, with the former record being 91-mile-per-hour. Wow. Yeah, that's, uh, I don't wish that upon anybody. Having lived through one here in Iowa a couple of years ago, uh, that can be a very scary experience. But Cassidy, I yesterday kind of reported on where we thought the Fed was going to hike rates. So they did vote yesterday afternoon to hike their rates. And as we targeted based upon that equities chart that I described, we were anticipating 75 basis points. And that is the benchmark that they had chose to raise. So this Federal Reserve moved their Fed funds rate three quarters of a percent. That is the largest and most aggressive hike since 1994. And now that has shifted the expectations for future hikes. According to that dot plot that I described yesterday, the rate that is now a target of 150 to 175 now has a potential to reach 3.4 by the end of the year. So that progression has now been increased by one and a half percent. Officials are saying they're significantly cutting the economic growth outlook for 2022 now, anticipating only a 1.7 gain on GDP, down from 2.8 as a projection that came out of March. So that benchmark for the Fed funds rate was moved from 1.5 up to one point, a range of 1.5 to 1.75. That is the highest this rate has been since March of 2020 pre-COVID. Powell was stated, uh, was quoted stating that clearly the 75 basis point increase was unusually large. We do not like doing this, but to combat inflation felt it was necessary. I do not expect moves of this size to be common. However, the next meeting in July, he expects for his committee to discuss increases of 50 and 75 basis points. He said decisions are made meeting by meeting, and they will continue to communicate their attentions so there are no surprises. So uh, short story, Cassidy, if wanted to summarize that, rates are going up, and they're probably going to go up more aggressively than we had anticipated earlier this year. Well, it's good to know that he plans to keep that communication line open so that people can understand what he and his committee are doing. But it is still bad news for all of us. And continuing on the bad news train, I would like to report a little bit about fires that are still burning. I know we reported about 
a lot of these fires in the beginning of the spring and kind of fell off of that reporting. But looking at this fire weather and avalanche center fire map, it does not look like they have slowed down at all. In Arizona alone, there are 103 active fires right now. And then New Mexico, Kansas, the Texas Panhandle, California, Colorado, Nebraska are still ravaged with fires. It just seems like we can't get ahead of it. Things here in Iowa that it seems like we can't stay ahead of is some local farmers and hog producers are getting notifications from their feed providers or cooperatives saying that they're running into a shortage of soybean meal. They're being told that Iowa plants are currently down, whether that's through labor shortages or through breakdowns. And they're working hard to ensure that every farm gets their feed, but are asking for farmers to order feed in shorter timelines so that it can be spread around to more producers. So uh, not a big deal in the grand scheme of things, soybean meal world. Uh, but certainly a little bit scary as producers like to take care of their livestock. But on the equipment side, Cassidy, Kloss has announced their Tryon 740 combine. So this is a class four combine. Kloss is known for their larger machine. So according to them, this 740 new design can offer mid and small sized operators the same competitive edge of larger farmers. It's going to come with a 402 horsepower Cummins motor. It has a 341 bushel grain tank. It is uh, the first in its class to have individually controlled cylinders. So bringing the same technology that larger producers have to the end of, or to the smaller farmers, along with their release of their 900 TT tractor. So the first in the industry to have its fully suspended half track tractor, the Zion AXION 900 TerraTrack was released on Wednesday. The front axle is wheeled. The back of the tractor features a fully suspended rubber track. According to Gloss, this creates 25% less ground pressure and 15% greater traction. So some technology advantages there being released and a headline from Gloss. Well, Tanner, I appreciate you throwing in some good news this morning for our producers to look into some new equipment. But continuing on my side of the bad cop, good cop streak this morning, I wanted to report on the level of Lake Mead, which according to Twitter, which I didn't get time to check this on an article this morning, but Twitter says that it is at the lowest level since it was filled. And that level is 1,045 feet. as of this morning, which is 0.1 feet under what it was yesterday and 184 feet below full pool of 1,229 feet. Yeah, I have been seeing headlines that whether uh, you can believe them coming from Twitter, it's no, there's no shortage of people covering this story to state that those water levels are extremely low and causing a lot of issues. Uh, in relation to the communities around there. But the last piece that I have for today, Cassidy, is again, each week we try to keep an eye on ethanol production. So ethanol production rebounded. Reported last week, it was down. The inventories declined a little bit. But in the last seven days, the June 10th, uh, the week ending June 10th, rose to an average of 1.06 million barrels per day. That's up from the 1.039 barrels on average from the previous week. In the Midwest, 
we were the highest producing region, just shy of a million barrels a day, 999 of those. And uh, inventories, as we look at stockpiles, they did drop to 23.197 million barrels in the last seven days. That is down from the 23.636. So uh, continuing to use that ethanol, uh, which should continue to support commodity prices. And that is something, too, that has happened in the overnight. All corn contracts are up in the overnight, soybeans as well. So we have the July corn contract up five and three quarters. The December's up nine cents. Uh, July soybeans up five cents. November up five and a half. Wheat in the overnight up three, both in the July and December contract. The soybean meal, like we had talked about in that article, we don't normally share, but soybean meal is in a positive Again, green coming out of the overnight, July up four and three quarters. August is up three and seven eighths. We jump down to the livestock side of things. Live cattle is up 235 for the June contract. August is up two and three quarters, while feeder cattle is also following the same trend. At uh, the August up $2 and September up one and three quarters. So uh, in the overnight, a lot of green, Cassidy, and that's good news for our listeners. Yes, it is. It's great to see that our stocks are starting to rebound from that huge sell-off on Monday that Delaney and I reported on. Let's yes. kick it over to Delaney while she's in Germany this week talking with Patience Akoku. Well, I caught up with Patience Okoku, who is a Nigerian farmer here this week in Germany. I'm with the Global Farmer Network this week. So sorry, folks, I'm missing you on the podcast. But Patience has a really interesting background that I wanted to make sure we shared with our listeners. And we have had Patience on once before. It's been quite a few years ago at the World Food Prize, had the opportunity to interview her, but wanted to bring that conversation back to the surface as we continue to look at issues impacting food security. You know, we continue to talk about Russia, Ukraine, but there is a larger food security issue going on as you look long-term as how we feed 10 billion people by 2050. So let's kick it over here to my conversation with Patience, where we kick things off talking about her interesting background and how she got into farming. I, I always say that I think it was divine. I was basically looking for a new business venture and it so happened that um, I had an opportunity to start a poultry, uh, but I think that it was basically um, divine, and somehow I think God wanted me to go this way. But I tell people farming is by far the most difficult thing that I've done, but the most uh, fulfilling, and, and I'm happy doing it. Pretty much, I think I was doing both uh, at, the, at the start, uh, but I think probably about 12 years ago, I closed the stores, and went fully into farming because I realized that I couldn't balance um, uh, both of them. And, uh, and farming is very, very, um, it needs all of you, basically. So you can't do half and half. Uh, and, and that's why I basically just um, shut down the, 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 the um, fashion business and went full-time into farming and lost tons and tons of money because we didn't know how to do it, but we learned on the job and we're resilient and we kept coming back and trying new things and eventually uh, we, we found our feet. So you did not 
grow up on a farm either. No. So you said it was divine intervention. I think mm -hmm. maybe was a term you used. Yes. But how did you go about learning how to farm or deciding what to farm? Okay, so um, I think also um, as an entrepreneur, I'd always done uh, one business or the other. I'd started out in university making clothes with my friend whose mom was Russian. And, and, and then as a buyer, buying stuff for my own stores in Nigeria from different parts of the world. I always had that, I want to try something new. And at the time we thought, okay, poultry would be the best thing. And then we went and did a lot of chickens and the chickens died and we lost a lot of money. And we said, okay, why don't we try crop? And then we went from one crop to the other, trying different things until um, practice really does make perfect. So I think with farming, uh, especially in a country like mine where there are no extension services and so on, you just basically, you know, try. And But now, of course, we hope that with the knowledge that we have, we can tell other people how not to lose their money and, and how to farm properly. So, yes, you farm in Nigeria, mm -hmm. and like you said, there are no extension services. Mm -hmm. There aren't a lot of agencies or groups available to help you yes. become a good farmer. So yes. how did you learn? Just trial and error? Um, okay, so, well, I studied a lot in the initial stages. I would do a lot of Google and whatnot. But then um, I would say, again, divinely, I became a member of the GFN. And, and I think I benefited a lot from knowledge transfer from, from, from other members of the GFN. We're doing no-till now, and that was basically um, GFN members from, from um, Latin America, from Argentina, really convincing me that this was something that was needed and would work in Nigeria. And now we grow bananas. I get a lot of um, um, support as well from GFN members in, in India. And so it's really been a lot of learning from from people who really do know how to do it, because I think that that was a challenge for us as, as startups, right, in, in the beginning, as a startup farmer, um, with no history of farming. So I was first-generation farmer. The challenge was that we have in Nigeria what we call consultants who have no experience. So it's book experience, but no actual field experience. But when we, we talk with farmers who have done it, who have failed at it, who have perfected it, it kind of makes it easier for you to be able to do the right things. And on a more serious note, you have to deal with a lot of challenges. Yep. Challenges that in the United States and other countries aren't even things that are on our radar. Mm -hmm. Tell me about some of those challenges that you've had to deal with. Uh, okay, so I will start with, like, it was, it's a journey, right, that I've been on. And um, initially, it was the fact that we couldn't get access to seeds. So we wanted GM technology. We wanted all the things that work. We couldn't get those. And then, of course, there was a lot of pushing to hopefully get those, and now we're getting them. But now we're faced with even more pressing problems, right? So because I had to leave my old farm because of insecurity. So we have a lot of challenges with Boko Haram, with what we call bandits, and, and now with ISIS West Africa also. So it's really dangerous for farmers to go out um, in fields that are not uh, in a secure area, and people get kidnapped and killed. And so that has really been a very huge challenge for farmers because they are farmers in some of the biggest growing regions of Nigeria that are displaced from their homes, that are not able to go to the farms because they could get killed for just going out to go and try to farm. And you have been displaced from one of your yes. farms. Yes, so we've been displaced. But um, again, thankfully, and I think also divinely again, we were able to lease land from the army because the army is one of the largest landholders in Nigeria, and they do have farmland. 
and so we were able to lease in a more secure place and that has helped us to continue working even though on a smaller um, scale but at least we're able to work productively and we're still able to carry on farming. Yeah and as you mentioned I think last night to me at dinner Nigeria is a little different because the government, in, in your case, owns a lot of farm ground. Mm -hmm. Can you explain the, the system for how you're able to rent ground from the, from the government? Um, okay, so because um, in Nigeria, well, the government owns the land and leases. So whether the person um, gets a 99-year lease or if government has land. So in my old farm, I was leasing from government. It was a government uh, ministry that owned the land, including the, the infrastructure. We're, we're leasing on a yearly basis even though longer leases of five to seven years. But here we, we lease still from government, and so um, the government does have a structure where um, you can actually outrightly, you would get the land allocated to you, you'd own it for 99 years, uh, and so on, and you get certificates and all of that. But um, so, yeah, so that's, that's the way it's structured. And um, I think that um, in the long run... Uh, um, there has to be a lot of changes in terms of people being able to get access to safe land uh, where they can actually go and farm. And I think that the government does have a huge role to play in that in terms of um, providing that land and also providing the security for the farmers. And I think a resounding theme that we've heard this week is that there is a lot of potential in Africa to feed the world. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on how we make that happen? Uh, I think that, you know, I, I've said this to even um, companies who need to do more in Africa. And also you can hear from farmers who are from Argentina about farming in, 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 in West Africa, um, realizing that Africa has a, a huge land holding, right? So we're um, hundreds of millions of hectares that can be cultivated. We have the, also the advantage of having very good weather, uh, which supports <clears throat> growing twice a year. And we also have labor. So that's something that our population allows us to have, labor at a, at a favorable price. Um, and so these are things that can support um, sufficient production. But however, we are underutilizing our land. So the farmers are farming way below um, world averages per hectare. So we still have farmers farming one ton per hectare of corn against the 14 or 10 in some other countries. So there's huge potential for investment, there's huge potential for partnerships, and there's a huge potential for knowledge transfer to help people know how to do it right and do it better. And I say that it's more pressing because majority of the world's population is living in Africa. And so if you, if you see the fact that the, the population explosion we're talking about is going to come from Africa, it's not China because China is already controlling birth. So we're, we're looking at the people who will be the most populous but the least fed, that is, for me, it's a license for disaster to happen all over the world. So it's imperative that if we say that we don't want to leave anyone behind, that we really, really put action to those words and support Africa any way we can to improve production and, and improve you know, the world food um, um, system and also help that there'll be more food for more people. So yeah. getting back to your farm, you said that you've been through a lot of things. There were a lot of things that didn't work. You mm -hmm. lost a lot of mm -hmm. money when you were first getting into it. But mm -hmm. what does the present day farm look like? Uh, we're, we're very optimistic. Um, we're, we have um, access to more. And we're, we're trying to use technology 
um, innovation to actually bring our, our production to be more efficient. We're not where we want to be, but we're optimistic that in the next couple of years we will be there because we're having access to the right seeds. Um, we have the technology that will enable us to do stuff like no-till and, and you know, be able to do cover crop or, or a rotation with BT cotton, I mean BT cowpea. Um, there's, an, there's an opportunity with BT cotton and we're really hoping Fingers crossed that we get uh, BT corn very soon. So I think the future is looking a lot brighter in terms of production than it has ever been. Well, there you go. Even when Delaney is not working, she's working. So thanks for her for putting that interview together. Uh, certainly nice to get a whole different perspective. Yes, sir. It's always cool to get the perspective of someone from across the world to know that agriculture really is everywhere and everyone else is having the same issues and the same triumphs as we are here in the United States. Absolutely. But another great Thursday. Hopefully the heat stays away from a lot of our listeners. But for now, let's send them off. What do you say? Should we let them go? Let's let them go.